goal line listeners. We are down to the final game left of the NFL season, man. It's bittersweet like we've been talking about the past few weeks. We had a pretty damn good weekend of uh, conference championship action, and we're going to dive into all that. But first, I got to ask, Jordan, what's going on, man? How you doing? I'm doing good. Um, the weather's turned a little bit here, so it's been warmer this week, so that's nice. Uh, nice to get outside for a little bit this last two days. Um, yeah, this is a uh, this is sad times though, man. We got one football game left. We got the weekend of uh, flag football, Pro Bowl, whatever they call <laughs> it now. But dude, like, th- there's no like higher sports moment than Championship Sunday because you you usually know you're gonna get two pretty good games, and then just yeah. like the doldrums set into you. It's like, well, got one more game, and then we're just. On to everything that no one really wants to watch, but is forced to if you like sports. So, yeah, it fucking <laughs> sucks. Yeah, definitely, man. We're going to give you guys a little sneak peek this episode, just a little nibble of what the uh, offseason goal line is going to be like. We're going to go through all the the news and notes from the NFL this past weekend with the overwhelming focus being on the two games. Um, and then talk a little bit around the rest of the sports world before we hit the mailbag. Uh, Jordan, you got anything else for, for housekeeping before we get into it? No, let's just uh let's dive into some football action and then yeah, we'll uh we'll hit on some some other sports, so yeah. All right, let's kick it off. Sunday afternoon, Ravens Chiefs. Chiefs win and go on to the Super Bowl. Um Seth, I'll let you go first with kind of your thoughts on this game. We won't talk. Let's not talk about Super Bowl yet, but let's just talk about like yeah. your actual thoughts on what you thought of this game, like way both teams executed and everything like that. Yeah, we kind of formatted it out. We know next week we're not going to have any actual games to to talk about from the prior weekend. I don't anticipate us doing a deep dive on the uh, the Pro Bowl flag football or skills competition. So we'll we'll lightly you know talk around the Super Bowl, but that's going to be next week where we do our big preview and predictions for that. Um, you know, I picked the Chiefs to win, but this was not at all how I saw the game going. You know, after that first, uh, those first couple drives where the Chiefs just looked surgical going down for the touchdown and Lamar answered back with that spectacular play, you're starting to think like, okay, th- this is it, dude. We're going to get Mahomes, Lamar Jackson in a duel. This is going to be awesome. And then it really just turned into a defensive slog, man. Like, I, I-, I thought they were going to win with some Mahomes magic uh, going down the stretch being just enough, but – Really, dude, they they put the clamps down on Baltimore's offense, man. They had they had those boys frustrated, man. Like they, you could just feel the. It felt like Baltimore was hanging on by a thread, uh, you know, from just complete and utter collapse there. One score game, but it really never felt in doubt. Even when the Ravens had the ball in the fourth quarter, down seven, it you were just confident, man, that the Chiefs were going to win this game. They just they played poised, you know. They played like a team that was in their sixth consecutive AFC Championship game. And the Ravens just, you know, once again, when the lights got the brightest, they, they crumbled a little bit. I'm going to put a lot of this loss on the Ravens coaching staff. Dude, I didn't realize it till after the game. Their running backs carried the ball six times in that game. I mean, yeah, dude. that's and where was Dalvin Cook, man? I thought Dalvin Cook looked looked excellent uh, in the second half against the Texans, dude. I, I was bracing for a heavy dose of him against the Chiefs. I, I, I barely remember him being on the field. I don't think he got a snap in that game, honestly, dude. Yeah, which is weird because, I mean, am I crazy? Didn't he look good against the – he looked like the best running back they've had all season against the Texans that second half. Yeah, but, dude, that, I guess that's not even what like I'm – Gus Edwards had three carries for 20 yards and one of them was a 15-yard run. 
Like, yeah. And that, that was all in the first half. Like, I don't know, man. I, it just baffled me. Like the Ravens, like offensive strategy, like, they got there by running read option with Lamar. And it's like, they just, they were determined to just show everyone that Lamar could just beat you by throwing, which dude, we all know he can't like, that's not a, a point you need to prove. It's not going to weaken your win. If Lamar only throws for 150 yards, like dude, all that matters is getting the win. And it's like Jim Harbaugh or John Harbaugh went out there and like his entire strategy was, let's just prove to everybody how great Lamar is. And, I don't think he played bad necessarily. There was a lot of times where his he, best, though. I, I just think there were so many times where he got caught looking at the line of scrimmage rather than downfield because he took a couple sacks and then they like panned out and he had guys running across the middle and they they had a guy trailing him by five yards. It's just the the thing that got the Ravens to where they were was like their wide receiver team speed. Like it was just hard to keep up with them. And I don't remember seeing much of Mark Andrews after that first quarter either. That was kind of no. odd to me. I don't, I don't think he – I think, you know, he was well enough to play. I still don't think he was anything close to a, 100%. So I wouldn't be surprised if it came out that, you know, he tweaked something those first couple drives because he, he wasn't really a factor, man. I – yeah, dude, something – I don't know if it was just a pass rush or, or what, man. But, yeah, Lamar, he looked indecisive. You know, like you said, he took some sacks. And then it felt like there was a handful of other plays where he just kept dropping back and scrambling. You know, he ended up 15, 20 yards behind the line of scrimmage. And, you know, he'd throw it away. But those were just momentum-killing plays for the drives. I thought the Chiefs played really, really well in the first half. Um, I was texting back and forth with quite a few people, and they're like, do you think this game's over? And I was like, no, because the Ravens usually adjust in the second half. Like, they're one yeah. of the best teams at adjusting at halftime. And they did adjust on defense. The Chiefs could not get the ball past <clears throat> midfield the entire second half. So I give props to Mike McDonald or whatever the hell his name is. He's probably going to end up getting a head coaching job. I'm guessing he takes the Seahawks job. But he adjusted really well. I didn't feel like their offense didn't adjust, though. Like, they moved the ball downfield. I mean, Zay Flowers fumbled going into the end zone. Lamar threw an absolutely miserable pass to Isaiah Likely when he was triple covered. I mean, dude, the Ravens could have easily won this game the way they played yeah. the second half. They just gave it away. It was like they just stopped. I don't know, man. They just made some weird decisions. Zay Flowers had that 50-yard catch, and then he proceeded to get a 15-yard penalty. Then he caught one more ball, and then he caught the touchdown. Well, that would have been touchdown that he fumbled. Fumbled at the goal the line, and then cuts his hand on the bitch, out of, punching it out of frustration, man. Like, oh, that was just a brutal, brutal stretch there for him. So the problem for the Ravens, and it, this is the only time that it peaked its head out the entire season. Like, their wide receiver group is so young outside of Odell, and I'm not counting on Odell to keep the guys together. Like, that's the problem. Is, yeah. But they never had to deal with this in the season because, again, why the fuck are you handing the ball off to your running back six times in a must-win game? It's a dogfight. It was raining. That's the other thing. Dude, the announcers didn't even say a word about the rain until it was, like, almost was the fourth quarter. And we could see it was raining the entire game. I just... It, it was clearly affecting the game. Like, dude, after the second quarter, the Chiefs were did not look like the same offense. Like, couldn't run the same plays and stuff like that that they were running at the beginning. Because, I mean, early, they, uh, they were just picking them apart with dink and dunks and just taking everything the Ravens were giving them, which I guess that's kind of what the Ravens' defense is set up to do is make tackles in the open field. So, I mean, the Chiefs just did exactly what the Ravens wanted them to do. They just did it too well. So, I don't know, man. Weird game. I just... 
that's a missed opportunity for the Ravens. I think I, I still think you feel like if they if they play that game a hundred times, you feel like probably sixty of them the Ravens win. You know what I mean? And they just they they, they couldn't they really didn't get any any good bounces. You know, things just went. It felt like the the football gods were kind of just against them all day. I mean, even the play that their 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 big touchdown they had in the first half that was on a busted play. You know, that was off of Lamar Jackson just going into superhero mode and breaking that sack and then throwing it deep. Um, yeah, it it just was not their day, man. And like I said, the Chiefs. I I thought the Chiefs just played a steady mistake free game yep. outside of those first couple drives. The offense really just went in. It felt like I don't know if they were in protect mode or if the Ravens were able to just you know, put the clamps on them, but it felt, it, you know, it didn't seem like they were pushing the pace. It seemed like they were content to just, you know, run clock and, and let their defense go to work, man. Uh, going back to Zay Flowers, dude, I'll go back to something I heard Bill Belichick say when he was, uh, it was when he was doing the NFL 100 show with those guys. I can't remember if that was last off season or the season before, but they were showing some highlights of somebody and B- Belichick reiterated that something he always stresses to his players is you do not extend the football out unless it's a fourth down situation, mm-hmm. right? Like unless it's going to, unless, you know, we're, we're going to lose the ball. If we don't get the first down, you do not do that. And I kind of agree, man, you can't fault Zay flowers. He was just playing hard, trying, trying to make a game changing play. But looking back, it's like, dude, if you just, if you just keep it tucked in, you, you still might score. And, you know, worst case scenario, we're going to get the ball at about the half, you know, first and goal at the half yard line. Yeah. I don't know. It's just weird. Cause that entire, that play changed the entire game. Like, dude, they score yeah. there. They have all the momentum at that point in that game. Just, yeah, just a weird game from the Ravens. Like, like I said, I'll own up to it. I, I thought the Ravens were the best team in the NFL and I thought they were going to win this game. Honestly, I thought it wouldn't even – I thought it would be like about a seven-point game at the end because um, because I thought they were I, mean, I don't think anything to own up to, dude. I think the Ravens were the best game. I mean, that, that's, the, that's the unique thing about football. You know, base, it, ba- basketball, the best team almost always wins just because of the seven-game format. Baseball, the best team usually wins, but sometimes you could have a pitching staff get hot um, in the – you know, or, or, you know, some, some bats get hot in the playoffs and carry a team um football dude it's you know sometimes the best team wins sometimes they don't man i think the ravens were definitely the best team you know overall if you look from week one to last sunday they definitely put in the best overall product but just dude sunday afternoon was not their day man and and you know against a team as battle tested as the chiefs you got to bring your a game if you're going to send those guys packing in the playoffs yeah it's uh there's definitely something to be said for that team they just the Chiefs just never panic, man. They just they know exactly what they want to do. Every possession, every play. There is one thing though, dude. Me and you texted about this a little bit on Sunday. The amount of calls that that, that do not go against the Chiefs, and I get it. It's the exact same thing that they do with the Patriots. <laughs> but dude, yeah. there was numerous plays where me and you were texting back and forth, and the Chiefs' left tackle was literally grabbing Vanoy and throwing he was him to the ground. Kyle Vanoy, man, yeah, that touchdown that uh, the the big touchdown Travis Kelsey had, you know, it was an awesome throw, a spectacular catch. But you can see it clear as day, dude. The right tackle's got a bear paw like halfway down the back of the. Uh, I forget who it was the, it was the pass rusher coming in, but yeah, yeah, they. I mean, they. I mean, they got you know a couple holding calls, but still, dude, they they were holding damn near every play. I think they were taking the Seahawks old, um, old philosophy. You remember back in the glory days of the Legion of Boom? Those guys were pretty much you know defensive holding and pass interference damn near every play, and just betting that the refs won't have the you know won't have the stomach to throw the flag every single time. Uh, and, and you know it, it ends up working out to their advantage, man. I think that's what the Chiefs said with holding. Like, fuck it, we're gonna hold, and we'll, we'll challenge the refs to fucking call a penalty every single play. 
the other thing, like, and it's just, it's just another one of those things. Like they called Zay flowers for taunting, which it was 100% taunting. I'm not saying it wasn't, but Travis Kelsey, after every damn catch is up in like an, like a, a defender's face flexing he in his baiting face. Him, man. And I just, yeah. I, dude, and he did bait him into a personal foul. At some point, you have to call the dude that's doing the baiting. Like, you just can't continue to reward that over a game stretch. I just, I don't get it, man. And then the other thing, this is like one of my biggest gripes for the Chiefs. They get so many goddamn calls, and they whine about every single one they don't get. Like, I get it, but, dude, it just, as like a football fan, like, if, if your team's not playing that game, it just it's not a good watch to me. Like I just, I don't enjoy watching that type and we'll talk about it too. When we get to the NBA, it's just made its way into sports, dude. You just complain about every call you don't get. It's just, it's part of sports now. And I hate that it's part of sports because like, dude, that's what you're teaching the kids of America is like, Hey, if something doesn't go your way, just complain about it. Eventually you'll get it figured out. Like I hate that shit. Like the, the complaining and all that stuff is just too much for me, man. It sucks to watch. Yeah, especially with like the Mahomes roughing the passers. Like, he's definitely gotten like all the protection Brady used to have. He's had like, I know there was one time in the Niners Lions game, which we're going to get to you, where Brock Purdy got slammed, you know, a, a half second after the ball went out. And I'm just thinking, like, that, you know, I texted you about it. Like, dude, if they, if that was Mahomes, there's no doubt about it, dude. You probably, every ref on the field is probably throwing a flag on it, man. So, uh, you know, to the victors go the spoils, man. Yeah. The, 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 the winners tend to get the calls in the NFL, and there's nobody that's been winning more than the Chiefs over the last half decade. Yeah, so, I mean, I guess we'll just end off this with, uh, for the Chiefs, um, I mean, dude, they they played the best game against the best team, so, I mean, it, it's tough to argue with, with how they've played the last three weeks that they're, they shouldn't be the favorite going into the Super Bowl, but, I mean, again, the, the team on the other side is not a slouch either, so we'll, we'll get into that game. But yeah, I mean, real quick before we move on, man, I know we're gonna do we're gonna go team by team off season, so I, I don't want you to go in depth here, but just you know, paint paint the broad strokes, dude. If you're the Ravens, are are you just running it back and and hoping that you know another year of experience, man, is enough to get you over the hump, or or are you making any kind of you know major or you know semi major uh, moves this off season? I think the major move they should make is one that they better be in on. Derrick Henry needs to be at the top of their list, man. Having yeah. him in that they game would have sure. just been a game changer. That they need to have a running back that just like strikes fear into the opponent, whether that be Derrick Henry or just drafting one, whatever it may be. But J.K. Dobbins is clearly never going to stay healthy. Gus Edwards isn't a guy that's moving the needle. Like you can't just keep doing the plug and play thing with running backs. Like eventually, you have to get a a stalwart, a number one back, and just and just feed him the ball. Because that's the other thing, dude. Lamar takes so many damn hits, man. They they got to stop having him get hit so much. I know it's his game, but, dude, that dude's not going to last another 10 years playing the game he plays. Um, yeah. But I, I think that's what they need to do. I think they need one more cornerback, too. Like, Marlon Humphrey's awesome, and he was just coming back fresh off injury. I didn't expect a whole ton out of him. I thought he played fine, but I think they need one more corner. But, dude, the rest of this team, I mean, it's built to win. Like, they have the best safety in the NFL. Defense is nasty, bro. Yeah. It's yeah. just – I mean, dude, they have they have two of I mean, the best got, linebackers. They got superstars. Yeah. They have all pros at every level on the, on the defense, man. It's – uh. Yeah, they're like the defense you put together on Madden if you turn salary cap off. Yeah, I mean, 
do you think like they need anything major? Like, I mean, do you think I'm off base with the running back thing? No, I, I think you're right, man. I think maybe, you know, if you can get Derrick Henry in there, that would definitely be a game changer, dude. Especially if, you know, you can make him the closer, right? Like he's, he, he's, you know, getting him a little, a little action in the first half, dude. But second half, that dude's, you know, you pencil him in for 12 to 15 carries second half um, every game, dude. I just think that would be wicked, man. After defenses are getting, you know, think about the old, um, the old DVD backfield in Atlanta with Vic, Warwick Dunn, and TJ Duckett, where, you know, you usually wouldn't see TJ Duckett until about midway through the second quarter. And defense is retired from chasing Vic and Dunn around the field. He would come in and just do work, man. Like, if you could get something like that going with uh, with Derrick Henry, that'd be pretty badass. Yeah, it's kind of like Lindell White and Reggie Bush at USC, too. Just the thunder and lightning backfield. Like, you just yeah. – you ha- and dude, the, the, we'll, we'll talk about it in the next game, but I'm just going to use the Lions as, as an example – they did such a good job constructing that team, having Montgomery to hammer the ball and then bringing in Gibbs to catch passes out of the backfield, run the sweeps and everything like that. Like, dude, that's what the Ravens need to do. Like this whole thing that we need to be impressed by Lamar throwing the ball is, is that's just a farce, dude. I don't care about that at all. Lamar can throw for 200 yards a game and it's not going to change my opinion on him. The dude is a superstar. He just, he's not a, pocket quarterback and for some reason they tried to make him that on Sunday and they lost because of it so um yeah you got anything else on that game no it's just crazy man as, as rough as they look dude the freaking Chiefs are here playing in the Super Bowl once again yeah it's wild um all right let's go into the other game uh Lions 49ers <sighs> This is uh, probably one of the more wild games I've ever seen in my life. Like, yeah, okay, man. so th- th- before we get into the game, I'm just gonna, this is directed straight at Lions fans. Like, dude, as someone who has been in this exact position, Seth has as well. Like, exact, literally, it, seventeen like, point lead in the NFC Championship. It, dude, th- if it doesn't fucking hurt you for a while, like you, you probably shouldn't watch sports. Like, dude, that game hurt me for for quite a while. Um, it sucks, man. It's it sucks to lose like that. The, the upside for you guys, though, is when we blew a 17-point lead, I felt like we were probably not supposed to be in that exact moment at that time. It just it yeah. felt like we were there a little too early. The Lions don't feel early, dude. Dan Campbell's an excellent head coach. They got a great offensive coordinator who said he was coming back today. He's not, he's not leaving. Gonna that keep, was big, man. Yeah. Huge. Yeah, it, it, they're going to run it back again. The, the only – We'll get into the game now, but the um, I'm just I just wanted to tell Lions fans like, dude, it's gonna suck for a while, and you should feel bad about losing that game. Like the ones that keep saying like, oh, there's always next year, dude. You don't know when the next time Nothing's you're getting back to that man. game. There, there is, I mean, they could have a catastrophic injury next year. You just don't know. You got to let that game eat at you for a while if you're a true sports fan. Like, fuck, I still think about that 2012 uh, NFC Championship game. Like, dude, it still yeah. eats at me every day that I think about it. Because they had the better team, they just they blew it, and I th- and you know they would have crushed the Ravens in the Super Bowl that year, man. Yeah. Like they, we matched up so well with that with that Ravens team. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm with you, dude. That was a, a truly, truly brutal loss, man. And dude, like you said, there's no guarantee of getting back there, man. Football is a it's a game. You know, there's so much chance and randomness built into football. Look at the Bills, man. Like after after that, uh, you know, after that 2021 classic they had against the Chiefs, you know, one of the best playoff games of all time, you're thinking, sky's the limit, dude. These guys, these guys are going to get a Super Bowl next couple of years. They haven't made it past the second round of the playoffs, man. 
Like nothing at all is is guaranteed. And, you, you know, when you get that opportunity, when the stars align, you got to take advantage. So I, I don't know, man, it's 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 rough. The, the, the arrow is still pointing up in Detroit. But man, what a, what a freaking catastrophic collapse. Yeah, that's that's a tough loss. And it's going to stick with you for a while. Um, let's get in the game a little bit. Lions just looked like. Dude, they looked like a team that wasn't losing to anybody in that first half. Like, no. I swear you could have put anybody on the other side of that field and it wouldn't have mattered. Dude, the Niners yeah. literally looked like they had no idea what just hit them. Um, that was like the most puzzled I've ever seen that team look. Um, yeah, yeah, they, they were shell shocked, man. Lions were like they had their hair on fire. Dude, it sounded like it was a shitload of Detroit fans at the yeah. game, too, man. Like, it it wasn't like, you know, sometimes you hear a little pocket of road fans when, when the road team's getting up. I mean, it sounded like they were in D- Detroit, dude. The crowd was going absolutely nuts uh, yeah. that first half. Yeah, there was probably 30% fans in Honolulu Blue there. So, yeah, it was uh, – that first half was um, – that was unlike anything I think I've seen in a while, dude. That was just – they just took it to them and – so they scored that first touchdown, and then um, the Niners got a touchdown, and I was like, okay, this is just going to be kind of a back-and-forth game. And then the Lions just went off, like scored 17 straight points, going to the locker room up 24-7. to I did t- text you. You texted me at halftime, though, and you're like, man, who would ever thought Detroit? And I was like, dude. This game is not over, and it's still Detroit. <laughs> Jordan like, gave him the, the kiss of death, dude. No, I was already I, starting to move I on. I didn't dude. give you give him the kiss of death. Seth was about to go play video games, and I'm like, dude, <laughs> this game ain't over. I'm telling you, like, the with the 49ers getting the ball to start the second half, I was like, there's, I just, I find it really hard to believe that the 49ers ain't going to march down field and score. And they didn't even score right away either, though. They punted it back to the Lions. Lions went three and out immediately, and then the Niners just took over. Um, well, they didn't really take over. They got a field goal, you know, so it's still still 24 oh, yeah. to 10. Lions still in control. And that's when the Lions drove back down. They went for it, you know, somewhere, somewhere around the 30 yard line. They went for it on that fourth and two. And Josh Reynolds dropped the pass. And that's I felt like that is when the, the energy changed in the building, dude, because then it's like, you know, it was like in New England, man, when they got that ball back. uh you know, when they were in, in that Super Bowl, when they were down 16, somebody they get the ball back and you're like, okay, it's a two-score game. We, we can do this. It felt like that's when the Niners believed. And then, yeah, dude, it was just – they were kicking in the, the the freaking Lions' teeth the rest of the game from that point. Okay, so we're both mis- misremembering this. So the Niners did kick a field goal on the first drive. They, they didn't go three and out. I was wrong on that. And then the Lions went three and out, and then the Niners scored another touchdown, and then Gibbs fumbled, and the Niners tied it up. So no, it was when they I'm were. Liter- I'm the literally first... looking at the chart right now, dude. The guy, I'm literally looking Hold at on. the drive chart right now. The Niners kicked no, a field goal. Was... I'm telling what you. happened on the Lions' drive that ended with about seven minutes to go in the yeah, third they, quarter. They went right? for it. On I remember fourth thinking, down and, like, and, yeah, they went for it on fourth down. Oh, okay. and didn't get it. It wasn't. It wasn't a yeah. fumble. The fumble happened after the Niners scored that touchdown. Yeah, this was the the drop. Like I said, I think it was that drop pass yeah. when they had the opportunity to go up. 27 to 10 you know like i said i indeed i respect dan campbell you know the majority of time i prefer a coach that's going to be aggressive and go for it but i'll say this about the analytics stuff man you know this game wasn't week. this wasn't week seven against the vikings this was the nfc championship on the road against um you know against the you know the top two or three defense in the league and you're about 20 minutes away from punching your ticket for the super bowl sometimes you just got to lay up and make the safe play, man. I think if you keep it at a three score lead, it still feels, 
you know, not that the game would have been over, but it still felt like, you know, almost out of reach for the Niners, dude. But the moment they gave it back to him down 14, it seemed like this that's when all the chips really started to fall. Hey, man, why didn't you tell me that you had Dan Campbell's number? Because I'm sure you texted him 30 minutes till Vegas like you texted me 30 minutes to <laughs> New Orleans. <laughs> <laughs> nah, nah, not this time, dude. I did think it was over for the Niners, you know. I had the big rooting interest in the Niners for this playoffs, man. I was like, well, this sucks, dude. You know, freaking Detroit and Kansas City. And, and I was just thinking, like, you know – I don't think the NFL is fixed, man, but you know, they like to say the script writers. I was like, how poetic, man. The the Super Bowl is going to be a rematch of that game from opening night. So I was already kind of starting to see all the storylines coming into place that we're going to be hearing about for the next two weeks. But it just wasn't meant to be, man. Hell hell of a freaking game from the Niners, man, to keep fighting like that. Just kind of talking a little more about Dan Campbell. I agree with you, dude. There are certain games you have to change who you are a little bit. Like, and in scenario, like, I'm all for going to Ford on fourth down. Like, if you're not in field goal range, shit like that, like, you feel the game slipping away, I get it. Dude, you gave up two probably pretty safe field goal attempts. I mean, one yeah. was from the 28 and the other one was from the 30. I mean, talking a 47 and a 45 yarder. Like, dude, if you're an NFL kicker, those are kicks you have to make. And people like to say that, you know, he coaches like he's playing mad, dude. Every Madden player knows how crucial it is going from that 14 point lead to a 17 point lead, man. Like that's a game changer, dude. That's three, three scores, man. Like that's, you know, and especially with the clock already draining how it was, man. Um, yeah, just felt like if they would went for that field goal there, dude. I feel like we're we're talking about Detroit versus KC. The worst part weeks. is, dude, is he cooked up a perfect play. Well, Ben Johnson cooked up a perfect play he call on that fourth yeah. down. And um, Josh Reynolds just literally drops it. It hits him right in his hands, just dropped it. And then the very next drive, I felt like it was the second play of the drive. Golf hit Josh Reynolds in the chest again, and he dropped it again. It's like dude, and he's normally been sure handed, dude. Yeah. Not that he's the most explosive receiver in the league, but he's a good, steady, you know, like an Adam Thielen type dude. Like he'll get you a first down. Like he's, he's, it's, I, I feel for him, man, because yeah, he was definitely the goat of this game for. For Detroit, um, but not the good kind of goat, the bad kind of goat. Uh, but he, uh, but yeah, that that was even unlike him, man. So I don't know, I don't know what the deal was. He, like I said, f- football's a funny game, man. Sometimes it just doesn't go your way, and yeah, definitely those drops were critical. Yeah, it was a, uh, it was weird because again, dude, why did the Lions go away from pounding the rock? Like the first half, they were yeah, averaging they like not 10 yards Gibbs, a man. carry. And then they Gibbs and Montgomery were tearing their shit up. Yeah. And then it was like, Dan Campbell's like, Oh fuck it, dude. We got to get Josh or Jared Goff some reps. Like, no, who cares, dude? Again, I feel like it, maybe that's not how it went, but it just feels like that's the way it went. Like, dude, if your running back's averaging nine yards a carry, just keep giving him the ball. You don't need to overthink it. Like, make the Niners adjust their defense to that and then throw the ball at Jared Goff. Like, it just seems like they just let the Niners back into the game by doing that because they came out in the second half and it was like, now nah, we're just going to throw the ball the entire half. It's just, I don't know, dude. It's so weird, man. But got to give it up to the 49ers, man. They, they made the comeback. They came back from 17 down to win to go to the Super Bowl. Um, they were the best team in the NFC all year, and, and they deserve to go to the Super Bowl. And, yeah, it's uh, interesting, man. Um Mahomes is Are you going to make me are you going to make me bring it up? I can no, guarantee hold on, you all hold, of our all on, of our hold faithful. Hold on, hold on. The goal line on. faithful are waiting for it, dude. Don't make me bring it up, man. No, right, let's hear just it. Just hold on. Give that man his flowers. 
dude, here's here's what just I'm gonna afraid. say. I know you want to love him, dude. I don't just, know why you're fighting this. Just let me talk. Here's what I'm gonna say. Like I was about to say, Mahomes is already in his fourth Super Bowl in his seventh year of starting. And Brock Purdy's in his first Super Bowl in his second year of starting and probably would be his second one if he didn't get hurt last year in the NFC Championship game. Um, just impressive kid, man. It's it's absolutely incredible that a kid that went to Ohio, Iowa State, um, last pick in the draft, obviously, is going to the Super Bowl. So everybody always asks me, like, what my problem with Brock Purdy is. I don't have a problem with Brock Purdy. I just think it gets overinflated how great this dude is. And I sent Seth an exact example of it. Like, the other day, Pat McAfee was talking about Brock Purdy on his show, and he's like, Brock Purdy ran this offense better than Matt Ryan ever did. And it's like, dude, Matt Ryan threw for 5,000 yards, 40 touchdowns, seven interceptions, and won the MVP in 2016. Like in those 2016 Falcons, depending on the metrics you look at, they're either like the number six or number seven offense in NFL history man, across yeah. every year. Yeah, like yeah. I, I think that's where my problem is. Like I think it gets okay. So I think there's too many people that say Brock Purdy's a game manager, and I also think there's too many people that are like this dude's the best player in the league. Like I just I feel like there needs to be like a middle ground, you know, like I feel t- that today I, I heard like people talking about like Brock Purdy's already better than Tom Brady was at this point in his career. It's like, dude, this is why I hate this shit is because this is what people do. Like they, they have to like, that's the only way they can make their point. Like, dude, why can't he just be something in between like a superstar and a game manager? Like, cause that's what he is in the end. Like, dude, you can't tell me that this offense would churn the way it does without any one of the star players like I just like Kittle is so vital to that team like I this is I talked about this last week too the way they use him that dude is such an intricate part of that team just because of how he blocks um the routes he runs everything like that like physicality he opens everything for everyone else like that's why their offense works so well is because like dude the pieces just come together as a whole and it's it literally is like a wheel like those five stars come together and that's what makes the wheel churn because their offensive line outside of Trent Williams is nothing special, dude. They're just they're just kind of there. Um, but And Shanahan's scheme, in addition to being quarterback friendly, it's also really O-line friendly, too. That's been an, that's another thing that, you know, because his scheme is just an evolution of of Mike Shanahan and Bill Walsh's scheme from back in the, you know, the classic Niners scheme. And it's really based on a lot of misdirection, a lot of lateral movement in the offense and all that stuff helps out the O-line also, because it doesn't let the D-line just pin their ears back and, and get rushing upfield every single play. So, yeah, I, I think Shanahan's scheme contributes to how how well-regarded that offensive line is also, man. But, no, nah, I'm with you, dude. Like I said, I know Brock – yeah, I don't think Brock Purdy's like, you know, the second coming to John Elway or anything. I don't think I, – I, yeah, I think you're right, dude. He's kind of somewhere in between, man. The people that hate on him don't really realize, you know, how well he really is executing – that offense, but he, he has definitely been set up for success better than just about any young quarterback could be. You couldn't ask for a better situation uh, for for somebody to, to step into like that. No, dude, and it is impressive. Like his second half was nearly perfect. I mean, there, there's nothing I can Those say. Those runs about were it. crazy, man. Like he, you know, he he looked like Lamar Jackson should have played, man. If Lamar Jackson would have played like Brock Purdy did that second half, they probably would have beat the Chiefs, man. Like he was just being decisive. 
and aggressive, but still staying under control, man. Well, was, uh, to be fair, Lamar Jackson also didn't throw a pick into a defender's helmet that bounced up and fucking right into Ayuk's hands. Like, hey, man, that, Lady Luck favors the bull. It, it does. La- it, Lady it, Luck favors it the bull. Definitely does. Like that was the play. I was like, are you kidding me? Like, dude, that's such a bad throw, and it's just that's what happens like that that's the kind of shit that like some of it is luck and some of it is skill obviously like i i get it like it's just that play goes the other way and who knows what that game turns into it's just that's one play that just flips the game man but yeah he balled out in the second half i have nothing but good things to say about him it it gave me warm and fuzzy feelings all over and actually made me a little emotional hearing you hearing you finally show the love i felt like when the grinch uh, finally grew his heart around the who's man here. Feeling you finally praised dude, Brock Purdy. A I, I've been bit. saying the same thing all season though. It's like, people just don't listen. Like I'm not saying the dude is bad, but I'm, I also don't think he's a superstar. It's just like, dude, can we like narrow the gap to he's somewhere in between those two things? Like today when I'm, when I hear people talking about, about Tom Brady, I'm like, dude, this is why this is exactly fucking why I cannot fucking stand this because it's just it gets so out of control so fast. It's just- well, and people just look at the numbers, dude. The NFL was dude light years different, yeah. even in 2002 when Tom Brady came in and Tom Brady was asked to play a totally different game, man. Like yeah. he Tom Brady legit was a game manager, dude, even though he was really fucking good. That, that was just the style of play Belichick wanted. You know what I mean? That's mm-hmm. what his coach had him going out and doing. Be it, you know, be a game manager. Don't make the big mistakes. But when it was time to strap up and lead him down the field for a big drive, Brady could do it even as a youngster, man. So, uh, yeah, I, I definitely, you know, he's got a long ways to go if he's really going to be the second coming to Tom Brady. But hell, hell of a start. Like he brought up last week, man, I'm really interested to see – what happens when he's due for that contract extension uh, next year, man? Like it feels like, you know, he seems like, he seems like a a smart kid. Everything we've seen from him, he seems like the most like humble, wholesome guy out there, dude. Like in a perfect, you know, dream scenario is, you know, he doesn't take every last dollar that's out there, dude. And signs it, you know, gets compensated fairly, but takes a little bit of a team friendly deal. So then keep this thing rolling in San Francisco. I don't, I don't think that's out of the question, man. Cause uh, that's just the guy he strikes me at. I, I, I you, you got to imagine he knows, like, if he get if he got you know traded for a couple second round draft picks to fucking Cleveland or Tampa Bay or something, he's not going to have the same success. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's always interesting when you're on a loaded team because, like, at some point it's going to have to end, you know. Um, yeah, and McCaffrey's contract runs out at the end of next year too, so it'll be interesting to see what they do with him, like. Dude, and Ayuk is quietly huh. dude, he might be worth more than freaking Debo Samuel, man. Ayuk is coming on, dude. I still think Debo's a little bit more important, man, but the production that Ayuk's had, dude, cannot be ignored. They've gotta win this year too, because like next year is when they start running into cap problems. Cause I mean, dude, you, you have to win in Brock Purdy's first three years, obviously, because yeah. whenever you gotta make a decision on him, that's where you're gonna have some you can start issues. making sacrifices yeah. everywhere else. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what they do. But, um, yeah, so I'm going to ask you the same question you asked me. What do you think the Lions do? Like, I mean, obviously getting Ben Johnson to recommit today is a huge deal for them. But, I mean, what do you think as far as, like, what they should do to the team? Like, obviously they need defensive help more than anything. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think you need to go out and, you know, sign the top defensive free agent. I think you just fortify through the draft and a couple strategic, like, you know, mid-level free agent signings like 
look at uh, the safety, the you know Bates that the, the Falcons got from the Bengals last year. That wasn't any kind of like break the bank signing. Dude balled out, man. Like had a borderline All Pro year. Um, was excellent, man. I, I think making a couple moves like that, and I don't want to sound like insulting, but you know Dan Campbell maybe just reassess his coaching doctrine. You know what I mean? I've, I've heard some people say he actually isn't an analytics guy, even though, you know, most of the people going for it on fourth a lot are analytics. They said he just goes off his gut. Maybe just, you know, do some studying, go back, look at every fourth down call you went for this year, did or, or didn't go and kind of reassess and just kind of refine what his, his judgment is on that. Cause I mean, yeah, dude, like, you know, I get that the play was set up, especially on that first one that they went for in the second half. Um, you know, if the guy just catches it, we're probably not talking about any of this right now, but it's still a results-based league. And the, those decisions limited his team's ability to win. Those were crucial. Almost, almost as bad as the fourth downs was when they elected to run the ball at the goal line with a minute left. Um, they still had all three timeouts, man. So, you know, they run the ball there and had to burn a timeout, which basically put him in desperation mode on defense. Whereas if you can score the touchdown and keep all three timeouts, you at least got the chance to get the three and out and get the ball back with, you know, 36, 37 seconds left. That was just a critical error, man. Like I said, it just just some really, really bad game management in the second half that kept carving away at their chances to win in addition to the the Niners just coming on like a house of fire. Okay, so two things. <clears throat> the contract the Falcons gave Bates was not small. They gave him four years, sixty-four million dollars. So it wasn't like it was. A Damn, small- it was that much. Okay, yeah, that's my mistake, man. I don't, I don't remember it being that big a deal in the off season when he got signed, man. So yeah, he got okay, he got paid. Yeah. Um, okay, two, the Lions have fifty-eight million dollars in cap space this coming off season. Like, I think they have. So they like, can make one or two splashes. Yeah. So. <sighs> They got to get a corner, dude. They have to get a, a, a like lockdown corner. That's, I felt like that was the biggest thing in that game. The second half, like once the the snowball start, started to roll downhill and the Lions couldn't get to Brock Purdy, their corners on an island were just getting cooked by whoever was out there. Um, and look at the week prior, dude. You know, uh, Mike Evans absolutely manhandled them. Yeah, so I feel like that should be. Um, number one is get a another corner. They need to get a pass rusher opposite of Aiden Hutchinson too. Like yeah. he gets doubled so much because they don't have anybody else that can really get after it. But dude, they have such a good base team. Like they built a great offense. Is awesome. The offensive line yeah. is incredible. Yeah, just yeah, it's gonna be gonna be interesting. But I agree with you. Maybe adjust a little bit of your coaching philosophy there, Dan Campbell. Like. Sometimes you got to look in the mirror a little bit, but great season. It should be, you know, NFC North next year. I think, dude, it's 50-50. Kirk Cousins could end up being the most interesting story of the offseason, what ends up happening with him. Um, And then you got the Packers coming on strong, but I still think the Lions are, you know, a a step ahead of the Packers. They should be able to cruise to another division title next season. I agree. Yeah, they got a good team, so. All right, well, let's – Let's give these folks a little preview and let's take it off the football field and around the rest of the sporting world. Boom shakalaka. So we're just going to do a little bit of quick hitting here on some NBA. We're not going to really talk about anything else right now. Um, but I at least wanted to kind of see, get it, get a temperature gauge of uh, where Seth is at as far as 
if he's watched any NBA yet this year or if he's kept on it up on it. I've watched a little bit. I listened to the Ringer NBA show. That's my basketball podcast of choice. I listen to it every week when it comes out. Um, So I've still been keeping close tabs and everything going on, man. I'm kind of interested to see how bad this heat slide is going to be, man. I know they just lost their seventh straight game. Uh, they clearly don't give a fuck about what playoff seed they get. They basically just turn into, you know, a team of honey badgers as soon as the playoff starts every, every, every year. But, uh, I'm wondering if maybe we see a big move from them for the trade deadline with this big slump that they're in right now. Dude, the East is a dog fight too. Like the Cavs, the Knicks, the Cavs and the Knicks are absolutely on fire right now. Like they're both nine and one in their last 10. I think the Knicks have won eight in a row and the Cavs have won, um, 10 of their last 11 games they've lost twice this entire month so yeah they've yeah. uh they've really come on strong and they finally got two of their biggest players back this week so um i, I really look they're for looking the, tough yeah yeah it's gonna be fun because then you, you know and then you still got the celtics and and, and the bucks at the top of it dude like yeah that that's one good thing about it feels like ever since kevin durant left the warriors that it's really been like more wide open than really for my entire sports fan life in the NBA, man, there's almost always been, you know, it seems like one, maybe two teams that can win the championship every season. It's almost preordained from the start of the year. And like we talked about earlier with the playoff format, you just rarely get those upsets um, in basketball like you do in the other sports. So it's, it's one thing that's definitely been refreshing over the last last four or five years is how it feels like you don't it's you know, you don't necessarily know who's going to make the finals uh, when the playoffs kick off. I feel like the trade deadline is going to determine a lot this year, like more than ever, because there's a couple of teams that are like one piece away from being really good. I still think the Celtics are going to try to make a move at the deadline. Like as good as their starting five is, I don't think they completely trust their bench. And I feel like they need somebody to run that second unit because the Celtics are really good. Like, obviously, I'm not telling anyone anything they don't know. The other thing is uh, I wanted to go over this just because. I was looking at this and I'm like, dude, imagine someone told you this five years ago, the Western Conference from one to 10, I'm going to run through it. So you got Minnesota as the one seed. Shocking enough. I really don't even need to go further than that. Denver's (laughs) the two, which now we obviously know Denver's really good. Oklahoma City is the three with the youngest team in the NBA. Clippers at four. Kings at five. Suns at six. Dallas at seven. Pelicans at eight. Lakers at nine. And the Jazz at 10. Notice there was no Golden State in any of that that I just said. Like, just absolutely insane how quick they fell off. Yeah, we're hearing, you know, Clay Thompson's potentially in trade talks at the deadline. I think, you know, as long as Steph Curry's there, man, you can't totally write him off, but it definitely feels like the dynasty's officially over, man. I, th- I think they really cemented their legacy when they got that that one last championship in 2022. It was kind of like a stinger. You know, they got it post-Kevin Durant leaving. Um, I think that really helps cement their place in NBA history. Uh, but yeah, it feels like the the window might finally be closed on Golden State. So whether or not this is just a rumor or this is actually true, um, Bob Myers, who is the executive for the, the Warriors, did not want them to re-sign Klay Thompson. And that ultimately was the reason he left the organization. So yeah. whether or not that's true to be seen. But I mean, if that's truly what he said, it looks like he was right because Clay's a shell of himself at this point. So, dude, football or even baseball, man, I would 100% agree with them. It's definitely the right choice, like, if you're straight up, you know, in a boardroom just looking at results. The NBA is such a star-driven league, though, and you got, you know, you really want to be able to put your best foot forward when one of those absolute, you know, 10, 12 players is available and you got a chance to get them. I feel like doing something like re-signing Clay Thompson, even after all the injuries, um, 
I think that buys you a lot of equity with yeah. the star players in the league because they see that they take care of their own. I, I equate it to like when the Lakers re-signed Kobe to a monster deal at the end of his career. That was a little bit different because the Lakers TV rights, the, the local TV rights there in LA were worth so much that Kobe was still generating a ton of money for the team, even if he wasn't generating wins on the court. Um, but I, I do think there's some value in taking care of your stars. That being said, yeah, I think the you know if the Warriors would have moved on from, from Clay and Draymond a couple years ago, I think they probably could have extended the championship window with Steph, but dude, Steph's no spring chicken, man. Uh, you you got to wonder, dude, if he's going to get another, have a chance to not get one, but even have a chance to contend for another championship with Golden State at this point. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see how his career winds down. Cause I mean, as much as people don't want to believe it, we are definitely on the, the downturn of oh, yeah. Steph Curry's career. Like dude, he's got more miles in the rear view than he does in the windshield. That's for damn. You sure. know what the most wild thing is, is like, we're, we're saying that and like here LeBron is in year 21 and still playing the way he's playing. Like he's a freak though, dude is LeBron and Tom Brady. They're at a different level with the longevity. I mean, Steph's had a ton more injuries than LeBron has too. Like not, not never any, like, you know, absolutely, you know, career altering ones, but he's had, you know, ankle injuries on and off. Remember his first couple years in the league, he was looking like he might end up being a bust because he couldn't stay healthy with all the ankle injuries he was having. Yeah, his ankles were basically hot Cheetos. (laughs) 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 Um, So I wanted to say something about the LeBron thing because, like, I don't think people put enough stock into, like, how long he has been as good as he has. And – one of the things is like whenever you read anything about him, like how much money he puts into his body every year, yeah, like diet, with his training, training and all that stuff. Like, dude, he doesn't have an off season, and I think like that's where a lot of like the young players go wrong. I think that's where a lot of people get injured and things like that. Like he trains like he's in season the entire off season. Like th- there is no off season for him because he he famously said when they when he first did the Olympics, like. Or the second time he did the Olympics, because the first time he was really young, but the second time he did it, everybody was bitching like, oh, man, we're missing our offseason and stuff. And LeBron's like, I'm not doing anything different than I would have been doing anyway. Like, this is just how I do my entire career. And I mean, can't argue with it. Like, dude, dude's in year 21 and still playing like a top 20 NBA player. Like, it's absolutely insane. Yeah, I mean, I'm a I'm a self-avowed MJ worshiper, and I've never been a LeBron fan at all. Um, and even I, at this point, say that there's definitely a very, very fair argument um, that he's the greatest of all time, just based off the longevity, man. Um, I feel like Jordan's peak was still yeah. better because at his peak, Jordan was absolutely unbeatable. And as great as those Bulls, team were, Bulls teams were, they weren't loaded with the absolute top-level superstars that some of LeBron's championship teams were, but, um, but yeah, dude, like freaking 20 years. And dude, I mean, what would you say? He's lost maybe a half step from, from his peak. Maybe, you know, even maybe a whole step, dude, but he's still damn good, man. On any, on any night he could bring it. If you're in the playoffs, you're definitely not looking forward to having to knock out uh, LeBron in a seven game series. Yeah. Yeah. I would say a half step. And honestly, when he said he was going to play, um, whatever it was four years ago, he said he had another five years in him. I was like, there's no way, dude, that dude's body is going to start breaking down. I mean, you're, he's 40 now or 39, whatever he is like. Yeah. 39, at, same age as us. At some, yeah. Doesn't that make you feel like shit? <laughs> <laughs> dude's 39 and still in top physical peak and, and still at the peak of his career at 39 years old. Absolutely insane. I mean, dude, just think about, th- think about how long ago 
it was. I mean, not that we're like ancient, dude, no. but I mean, we're, you know, we're 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 grown ass adults at this point, dude. Think about how long ago it feels like when we graduated high school. LeBron got drafted to the NBA right after that, man. That's how long he has been doing it, dude. And you know, really from night from day one, dude. He's he's been LeBron, dude. Like, I mean, it's it's so rare in sports somebody actually lives up to the hype, but he really did, man. You always go back to that Sports Illustrated cover from his junior year in high school, the chosen one, and he actually did it, man. So yeah, yeah. I'll always give LeBron respect now, dude. Even though I'm still not, I'm not a fan of his, dude. He's definitely got my respect just off the, off the longevity, man. And if somebody wants to make the case that he's better than MJ, um, I think, I, I think it's definitely an argument to be made. I do wonder about this, man. I feel like in, uh, you know, in another maybe 30, 40 years, dude, when kind of our generation is, is no longer the the loudest t- talking about it, man. I feel like those memories of MJ are going to start to fade, dude. And when people are starting to just look at the, you know, the, the NBA sports almanac and stuff and looking at the stats, dude, I think, um, I think LeBron's stature is really going to grow because numbers wise, it's, it's, you can't even argue it, man. Just looking at the the longevity yeah. and the the stats and everything and how many trips to the finals he's, he's put up. Um, you know, I know he's got that got, he's got four rings, right? Two with the, two with the heat, one with the Cavs, one with the Lakers, yep. four rings, but a ton of trips to the finals, man. I feel like people are going to look at it and you know, that six and O is not going to look quite as shiny for the people that weren't there to see it talking about Jordan's record in the finals. So yeah, I, I think 50 years from now, man, I think Pete LeBron will be regarded as the best of all time. So <clears throat> when when everybody talks about like him going to the finals as many times as he did, you got to remember, dude, the first time you went to the finals, that team was so outmatched by that Spurs team. Like they had... Well, was it Booby Gibson was yeah. like the third best player on the yeah, team? they had zero. Dude, me and Ari watched. That was like one of the... I think that might have been the first year me and Ari dated was that year. And it was she, what, Mo Williams, Ben no, no, no. Wall, it was, Wash it was, Ben Wallace. It was not Mo Williams, dude. Mo Williams was not on that team. It was Bo- he wasn't there yet. No, Booby Gibson, Zadrina Selgowskis, maybe Eric Snow. Still, like it was a it was a bad team. It was it was not a good team. Um, it just goes shows you how awful the East was in the mid two thousands. Also, that that team even made it out of the out of the mud like that. Yeah, but dude, they wrecked the the Pistons in the playoffs, who were arguably the best team in the league that year like it's it's insane like i get what you're saying but it's absolutely insane remember that playoff game where he dropped like 25 straight points yeah that i'm like so i had to explain to ari i'm like just so you know this is not normal like this is not how my teams normally play so don't get too excited and he was just like fucking Dude, it, it wasn't even like basketball that game where he dropped those points. He was just like fucking Ladanian Tomlinson taking it off tackle, dude, just fucking bullying into the paint and yamming it on the Pistons over and over. Yeah, I mean, he was a third year player at that point. Like, just absolutely- very little outside game. It was just just bullying a china shop, getting in the paint, and going to work, man. Yeah. So yeah, it was a. Uh, that's just one of those things. Like people always like harp on his record and stuff, and I'm like. Well, the first one, he was outmatched severely. I mean, he was playing against uh, David Robinson, Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, and Manu Ginobili, and uh, his sidekick was Zadrunas Ilgauskas and uh, Booby Gibson. So, that's- I feel like the real legacy changer was that one he lost against the Mavericks, dude. Yep. I feel like if they get that ring in 2011 and then everything else happens the same, because that would have meant that they ended up having the three-peat with Miami, which is, you know, I think they would have fulfilled the prophecy if they, if they got three rings, two feels like they kind of came up short with 
with the level that they were at where him and him and Wade and Bosch teamed up, man. I think if and he came up so short in that that Mavericks finals also, man. We still like we still need to get like the the you know 30 for 30 on that, exactly what was going on behind the scenes. I remember I think it was either that game four or game five, it seemed like he wanted to be anywhere else in the world than than you know getting the ball in crunch time that game. Um I think that eleven one did the most damage to to his you know, his stature and legacy. But the thing is, that's going to fade, man. You know, when, as the years go by, people are just, you know, reading about these guys, looking at the Wikipedia pages. I think stuff like that, the stuff that's more just like perception based is going to fade. And people are just going to be like, dude, this guy was a freak. Like how, how was he able to do it that good for that long? And it's just going to be the old timers like us saying like, you had to see Jordan play, you know, you didn't see Jordan play. You don't know what you're talking about. Like, I think like the, the thing that kind of hit me this week, or it was last week when Shaq announced LeBron was the 20 time all-star, like holy 20 fuck. times, dude, dude yeah. he made 10 the, times is amazing. 20 times. He has made the all-star game. Like, dude, that's, that's twice as long as the majority of people's career. Like j- just yeah. playing in the NBA 10 years is like an achievement. The dude's made the all-star game 20 times. Like it just, it's incredible. Um, I didn't intend for I think this. another thing that hurts LeBron. Yeah. I think you were about to say, we didn't really plan on going deep on LeBron, but he's, he's so fascinating, right? Like he can't help. I think another thing that kind of hurts his, the love he gets from kind of our generation and, and folks a little bit older is, is the bouncing around, you know, in a lot of ways, he's kind of revolutionary. He kicked off the, 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 you know, quote unquote player empowerment era and, as much as the decision was hated on, I, like I said, I think he really kickstarted something that's made the NBA more interesting and more fun since it started with all the player movement. Um, but I don't think he's got one fan base that's just ride or die for him. You know, I think that he's all the moving around. I don't, I don't know who really claims him, man. Like, uh, you know, MJ, he was with the Bulls so long that obviously he got the huge Chicago audience and really kind of the whole Midwest, uh, got behind the bulls and they almost became America's team there in the nineties. Right. They were like the Patriots. You had a ton of people that loved them and a ton of people that want to see them get knocked off. And they just was such a, a interest around them. feels like LeBron's never really had that piece of it, man. Um, like the, the Cavs fans, do you think when he retires or Cavs fans going to claim like LeBron's ours, or is he just going to be just LeBron, his, his own entity? I mean, so that's going to be an interesting thing when it happens. Um, uh, there's no Cavs fan that I personally know that hates LeBron. Like, dude, right? The dude brought Cleveland. He brought to Green. Yeah, yeah. It, like there's there's no way you could possibly ever hate him. Um, that was one of the most impressive championships ever. Yeah. Um, I think like the stuff that he's done in Ohio is like even off the basketball court. I think that yeah. that's just gonna forever endear him to Ohio and Northeast Ohio. Um, so I, I feel like the Cavs are going to claim him. It definitely won't be the Lakers. And I don't think he was with the heat long enough to like kind of no. cement that. So, and he's forever going to be known as the greatest player in Cavs history. Like there, there's not even a debate about that. So he's, Oh, shout out to where, where are the Mark price supporters? At, I love dude? Mark. I want, price. I want them writing in next I, week. No, 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 no. I love Mark price too. Yeah. I'm no, saying no, that no. I'm, I'm being tongue in cheek, dude. Like I, I love Mark price, dude. I became a Cavs fan in early nineties. Like, dude, I love Mark price, but there, Brad Darty, there's, there's Xavier McDaniel. Yeah. There's nobody even Craig Elo. There's nobody even holding the candle <laughs> to LeBron. Like it's John hot rod Williams. Yeah. God, Brad Doherty, <laughs> the fucking NASCAR announcer. <laughs> God, <laughs> Terrell Brandon, dude. You know what the worst? Like, I'm not even joking. Like, everybody's like, 
talks to me about LeBron leaving was like, like the worst moment for you as a Cavs fan. No, the worst moment for me as a Cavs fan, and this is not a lie either, like my favorite player growing up was Sean Kemp. Watching the ghost of Sean Kemp come to the Cavs, it was like I was excited that he was going to play for my favorite team, but I was also like terrified because I just kind of knew what kind of player he was at that point. And that was yeah. before like everything came out like to the shit he was into outside off the basketball court. And I just, I'll never forget like watching him play out his career as a Cav and then a Blazer and then a Magic. It was just like, Sad. what the fuck just happened? That dude was the most exciting player in the NBA in an era when Michael Jordan was playing. Like, yeah. He was the Rain Man was awesome, dude. Sean Kemp and Gary Payton. I love those Sonics teams, man. Yeah. Sam Perkins, Detlef Shrimp. Yeah, those teams. Are I could wrong. go '90s NBA all day, man. Up up until I started playing tackle football in like I think '95, dude. I was a hardcore NBA head, man. Like I was, I was like NFL was my dad's. Like football was my dad's thing, man. I would kind of I'd sit down and watch games sometimes, but I was all about NBA, dude. Like he, I had all the cards. All the NBA live video games. I have like the entire like you know mid nineties NBA roster memorized. This, uh, so yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do we'll do some we'll do some historical pods maybe this off season. This sometime, is talking about different. Teams. This is one thing I'll say about nineties NBA, um, and I don't care what anyone says. Like nineties NBA was the best sport of all time. Like having yeah. NBA on NBC, Ahmad Rashad na, doing na, ins- na, na, inside na, na. inside stuff. Like dude, the nineties NBA was just like unheard of. Like it was like must see TV. Anytime there was a game on NBC, like you had to watch it. And NBA finals coverage at that point was just absolutely incredible. I mean, it was just awesome, man. It just is so much, so much different. And, and it's as cool as like the player empowerment stuff is. And like, as interesting as all the drama and player movement is back then teams would really get established, man. You'd have a core group of guys and they'd be together, you know, five, six, seven years. And you re- like, that's how we remember all these random, like, you know, rotational players from these teams on the, on the nineties, dude, just cause they were, they became part of these teams identities, man. It, it definitely made it a lot more fun. Yeah, it was, it was a great era of sports. I, I love the nineties. Um, yeah, we let's let's move on from the NBA because we were intending on this not being a long episode, and we're already staring at an hour. So let's let's go ahead and <laughs> well, move into fresh, the mailbag. fresh, man. As much as we love football, we've been talking football for four months, dude. So, and then and we really didn't even. I think we we brushed a little bit on current NBA, and then we just got going down the freaking nostalgia blast. Well, I mean, at least everybody got a taste of it. We did almost thirty minutes of NBA talk right there. <laughs> yeah. So let us know what you guys think. If there's some other sports you want us to touch on, man. If it's something I don't even watch, I'll get brushed up on it in a week, dude. Uh, we'll we're all about the list, you know, making the listeners happy. So uh, just let us know what, you know, what sports you want us to go heavy on, what sports you want us to touch on all that. And we'll, we're, we're definitely going to be a little bit more, uh, you know, loose running, going, going no huddle offense, calling it at the line of scrimmage and be a little bit more free about the different stuff that we do uh, this off season. You'll hear some, some, you know, kind of like themed episodes and stuff like that. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Let's get to the mailbag. So first off, uh, James Modsley texted this in. He says, uh, I know you got he says, I know you guys are gonna break down all the teams this offseason. My question is, what what is the team that a free agent would most want to go to? Hmm. 
Honestly, I got two in mind, man. I'm looking at, and uh, it's not even necessarily about the on-field stuff. It's a little bit about the on-field, but more about just the lifestyle. I'm thinking Miami and Dallas, man. My Florida and and Texas, uh, no state tax. Miami, you know, there's a ton of good reasons to live in Miami. In Dallas, it just feels like you're going to be a rock star if you play for the Cowboys, man. They're they're larger than life. Got a ton of fan support, and you're always playing in prime time. I'm going to go with the Texans, like. Just it just seems like that team has fun. They're young, um, they're hungry to win. They got a really good head coach. They got a great quarterback. Like I feel like if you're a free agent, and I think they have like seventy five million dollars in cap space. Like if you're definitely a free agent on offense, I don't know why you wouldn't want to go play in that offense. Catching them on the upswing, yeah. So like that would probably be my choice, honestly. No, I feel I think that's good, man. So that you guys got your your exes, the the football based answer, and you guys got the the lifestyle one. But yeah, I think I, I think so. And you know, other good thing about Houston again, dude. Well, those big money contracts like NFL players are getting, no state income tax is a big fucking difference, man. That can end up being like you know hundreds of thousands of dollars you're saving right there. Hundred percent. All right, let's go to the uh, the Facebook listener mail. Just so everyone knows, right. I hardly ever look at these, and I did not look today, so I have no idea what Seth's about to ask me. <laughs> All right. Uh, this is a good one, man. So Matt Carpatian wants to know, who is your it's new t- uh, new listener, dude? Looks like a, 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 glad to have you aboard. He wants to know, who is your football team that you root for, and why are they your team? <laughs> um, so I'm a Falcons fan, and uh, <laughs> it's because of Deion Sanders, man. When I was a little kid like dude it just everything about him drew me to the falcons like um just like his swag man he was it was early 90s and like that wasn't even like a a thing in sports at that time and he just brought it and just there was so much excitement around him and man he packed that crowd out and everything for one player like it was it was incredible to watch so yeah that's why i became a falcons fan so a little bit of a similar origin story for me, man. It was player based. Um, so my dad was in the was in the Navy. So we moved around a lot as, as a kid. So I didn't have like a, a home based team or anything. Kept up with the NFL. Like I mentioned earlier, I was really more of a basketball fan for the most part growing up. Um, but my freshman year, uh, a player came up in college football named it was actually my eighth grade year man uh, and going into my freshman year, Michael Vick, Virginia Tech Hokies man, just an absolutely a uh, phenomenal player. Like, you know, I was a left-handed quarterback in high school. So seeing this other left-handed quarterback that can run like that and make these throws, which is absolutely, uh, you know, intoxicating, man. Like he's the kind of guy, you know, you would create on a video game or something. Uh, it didn't seem like it should be possible in real life. And I just, I locked in on him those two years with Virginia tech. And I just said, whatever team he gets drafted to, that's going to be my team. And mm-hmm. uh, it looked like it was going to be the chargers, man. I was already, you know, going to deck out my room in the powder blue and gold, uh, and then I think it was the couple days before the draft, man, the Falcons made the trade, did the number one spot. He went to the Falcons and I latched on, man. I became a Falcons diehard. Obviously, the the Vic run was very bittersweet, ended after six up and down seasons. But in that time, uh, I fell in love with the Falcons even beyond just Michael Vick. And I stuck with him, man. Luckily, you know, after a one year nightmare with Bobby Petrino, we drafted Matt Ryan, who one of the best quarterbacks in NFL history. And even more than that, dude, he was just a dude that you could root for, man. Like, you know, after all the debacle with Vic, um, it was great having this guy who just seemed like, you know, in addition to being an awesome football player, was just a guy that you could admire. And you never had to you never had to question yourself, like if you're doing the right thing by rooting for this guy, man. Um, 
I, you know, the Super Bowl that they blew against the Patriots was very scarring. I still came back to him. Stuck around for another couple of years, but dude, it was only so many times I could see him blow these just completely winnable games and it just sucked the life out of me. And I, uh, you know, I kind of disavowed, man. I, I pretty much went football agnostic for a couple of years. My dad had always had adopted the Titans um, as his team when, when they moved to Nashville in, uh, in 99, because we live about an hour north of Nashville, just across state line in Kentucky. Uh, so I kind of just rooted for them along with my dad. I, I still kind of, you know, I root Titans. If you've listened to the show, I, you know, I, I, I'd say I more just keep up with them more than root for them. I'm not any kind of diehard whatsoever. Like I'll still get excited because I love football, but I'll never have a team like I had with the Falcons, man. It's just, you know, I just got it's too close to the flame, man. I got burnt so much and it just sucked the life out of me and I can't do it anymore, dude. So I don't, you know, maybe if Brett gets really into it where he's a diehard for a team, maybe I'll get the, I'll get that itch back to go that, go that deep, but I don't see myself ever getting that wrapped up with a team again, man. Yeah. I wish I wasn't. (laughs) All right. Johnny JV says, how many shots of Taylor Swift will we get in the Super Bowl? Honestly, man, I feel like they've cut down a lot, dude. Since that first two weeks she was there, I feel like you see her, you know, I, I maybe like how many times did they show her on Sunday? It was I feel like it was less than five times. It was probably around four, her. four or five. Yeah, yeah. I, I honestly, dude, I think they've kind of conditioned me at this point. Like, if the Chiefs make a big play, especially if Kelsey makes a big play, like I'm already looking, like waiting for, it, like, okay, we got to see Taylor's reaction now. I don't think it's as big a deal as people made it out to be, man. I, I feel like the people. I feel like I get more distracted from people complaining about Taylor Swift than I do from them actually showing Taylor Swift on the games, man. I think it, to me, it's fun, dude. I am a Taylor Swift fan. So obviously I'm biased, but I think it's added to the NFL experience this year more than it's taken away from it. You know what my bigger issue is, is how bad Tony Romo has got at commentating. It's um, horrible, man. And he's calling the Super Bowl. And when he talks about Taylor Swift, it's like nausea inducing. Like <laughs> he's so bad now. Like I, I don't understand what happened from the first two years. Cause he was awesome. The first two years. And Dude, it's like he heard I, so much like he heard so much good talk about him that he like he upped his douchiness to like a hundred. <laughs> to me, man, you know, they said they had to do like an intervention with him to get him to start putting like more hours of prep time and stuff in uh last offseason. Dude, I think he was so good that first two years because he was still had all the knowledge from being on the field, man. He had still been doing tape study of all those teams and knew the ins and outs of what's going on in the league. And I feel like just as that's faded, I don't think he's ever done any, any of that kind of hardcore prep work um, since, since he's been in the, in, in the booth since then, dude, I think he was just, I think he was living off all of his tape study from being an active quarterback in the NFL those first couple of years. But yeah, I agree, man. He just, he gets on my nerves almost as bad as Collinsworth. It would make sense. Cause I think Greg Olson is absolutely phenomenal as a sportscaster. Like dude, he, he calls the game the right way. He does really good. Um, I thought Fox was screwed when Buck and Aikman left, but dude, him and uh, Kevin Burkhardt have filled in really well and they've been really good together. I also thought Matt Ryan did a really good job in the booth this year. Like, I like Matt Ryan. Yeah. Yeah. So I think did maybe good. there is something to that. Maybe like after a couple of years of being off the field, maybe it just kind of wears off. So I guess we'll see. All right. Uh, Zach Hertzler says, do you think we'll see Jason Kelsey act the fool during or after the yes. Super Bowl? Yes. Yeah, it's guaranteed, man. He ain't gonna have. I a think shirt that's just his personality. Half-time. Yeah, I, I don't. It's not that he's faking it at all, but he knows the cameras are on him, dude. And they got a, you know, they got a very lucrative podcast that, uh, you know, him and Travis Kelsey do now, dude. And it's just good marketing, man, to be seen, you know, acting a fool, dude. So yeah, if if they win, watch out, man. There's no telling what he'll do if the Chiefs end up winning. 
um, the lovely Ari, the fig wife, she says, which team was the biggest disappointment of the season? Um, I would probably honestly go the chargers. Um, I know that's yeah. an easy pick, but dude, to win five games with the roster they have is, I, I really don't even know what to say about it. I mean, we'll see how the Jim Harbaugh thing works out, but five and 12 with that roster is abysmal. I got to go Jets, man. Obviously, they got the big excuse with Aaron Rodgers going down literally four plays into the season, but it seemed like the hype and the expectations were were just off the charts for them, man, and they, it was just an absolute train wreck of a, of a year for the Jets. Yeah. All right, now that she's got some uh, – she's got a question for each of us. She says, uh, Jordan, we need your Falcons predictions for next season. No, we don't. No, we fucking don't. Just give us a record. Give us a record. You don't got to take us through the whole prognosis. Give us their rec- – what, what is their 17-game regular season record next year? 6-11. and 11. I think they're going 10-7, and seven, man. I, I I think you're off on the Raheem Morris, dude. I think he's going to be good for them, man. I think well, – got to get a who's going to be the quarterback. got to get a quarterback but, first. So, like, until, until the draft is over, I really don't want to make predictions for that team because I got to see what they put it together first. Zach Wilson. That's my dream oh. for this NFL offseason. For the Falcons to get Zach Wilson, dude, and let him cook. All right, and then she asked me, Seth, what's it going to take you to come back to the Falcons fandom? <laughs> I still kept an eye on the Falcons, man. I, you know, I tell Jordan, I always keep an eye on what's going on with the Falcons week to week. It's never – there's still a little, like, glimmer of that just in my DNA. But like I said earlier, man, I'm unless, unless it was something I was doing along with the kids, I'm just never getting as emotionally involved with the team as I was with the Falcons for that, you know, basically 20 years. Uh, Sam Rosenthal, how on earth did the Steelers hire Arthur Smith to be offense coordinator next season? Did they not see his work with the Falcons? I think there's a big difference between being an offense yeah. coordinator and a head coach, man. Last time he was offense coordinator, he was kicking ass on a team with Ryan Tannehill as the quarterback. I, you know, I don't think it's the most inspired thing because he's definitely more of an old school offensive coordinator. I feel like right now a lot of the be- the, the best teams are doing it with the really innovative um, offense coordinators. And I, I think he's a good play caller and I do like his scheme. I mean, I liked it with the Falcons. It just seemed like they kept shooting themselves in the foot with some of the, some of the players that they were giving the ball to um, on, on paper though, like his scheme with the Falcons roster seemed like it should have worked. Um, but yeah, I, I think he'll be fine, man. I, I think, you know, it's, it's the Steelers dude. They're, they're going to be fine. They always are. My favorite meme from today was, uh, it was George Pickens. He's like, God, you guys couldn't possibly throw me the ball less. And then right underneath there was a picture of Arthur Smith, and he's like, game on, <laughs> fucker. <laughs> yeah, I saw a picture. Of, it was George Pickens getting into a fight with somebody in college. And it was like George Pickens to Arthur Smith after he has three targets <laughs> after two weeks of next NFL season. Yeah, don't draft any Steelers on your fantasy team. We already touched on this one earlier, but Sheena, my my lovely wife, she had asked you, she said, why does Jordan despise Brock Purdy so much? So Jordan already addressed that. It turns out that he does not actually despise, uh, you know, the most wholesome player in the NFL. Uh, Zach Hurts, who hits us with another one. Who would you want as a QB, Brock Purdy or Tony Romo? Um, I, I, I got to go Romo, dude. I feel like Romo, even though he has some gigantic playoff blunders, I feel like he's you know, almost criminal how underrated he was as a quarterback. He was really, really good. Those last couple of years, the health was a real issue. But when he was at his peak, man, like he could ball, dude. And I still say that uh, that 2014 team that got absolutely robbed against the Packers in the playoffs, man, that was probably his best shot at getting a ring. Yeah, I would go Romo as well. Not be again, not because I hate Brock Purdy, but just because Romo could ball. Yeah, bro. dude. He, I think the. the 
the longer you get away from his career, the more people hate on him. And I'm like, dude, that fucking dude was good. I, dude, even though Dak came in and was awesome that rookie year, I'm still not convinced that was a great dude. dude if you put in a fresh Romo with that team with the one seed, uh, there's no telling what the Cowboys could have done. The Cowboys were badass that 2016 season when Romo got hurt and Dak took over. You know, they barely got beat by the Packers in the second round. But if they beat the Packers, they're hosting the Falcons in the NFC Championship in Dallas. I feel like that would have been a coin flip game, man. Yeah, 100%. I agree with you. Uh, but yeah, man, love, love for Romo, dude. Ro- Romo was good, man. Don't, you know, don't let a, a, a handful of playoff games uh, distract you, man. Like Romo could freaking ball. And last question, uh, Chad Smith from the Turnbuckle Tavern. He says, thoughts on the uh, Taylor Swift government psyop conspiracy and the game being rigged. You know, I don't want to go into too much detail on that being a government employee myself, but I will say this, dude, after working for the government for 20 years, people give way too much credit, man, to the uh, to their ability to actually pull off something that intricate The you know, use Taylor Swift for, uh, you know, you know, mind mind washing or, you know, brainwashing or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then he also says, Dan Campbell, too much riverboat gambling in his jeans. Or do you like the fire and go for broke mentality? I think we kind of already touched on it, man. You, he, you know, you, in general, you like it. Maybe you just got to, you know, everyone, you know, Kenny Rogers told us, dude, sometimes you got to know when to fold him, you know? He does not. <laughs> he's rolling that dice. Like we, we said after that Dallas game, dude, he's definitely made the walk of shame to the Las Vegas ATM at five in the morning a couple of times before, guaranteed. Somebody put a family guy clip and it was Peter at the casino and he's playing blackjack and he's like 20 <laughs> and he's like, hit me. He's like, sir, you have 20. He's like, oh, I'm showing you three up. He's like, hit me, God damn it. <laughs> that's, that's Dan Campbell. <laughs> Got to get the blackjack. <laughs> All right, that's a wrap. So we're going to be back next week. We'll be hitting you guys with our bets for the Super Bowl, our picks, and our year-end awards. So um, going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a great episode. Jordan, hit us with some closing thoughts, and we'll get out of here. Well, I hope you guys all enjoy your uh, Pro Bowl weekend and enjoy the flag football we're going to get to watch this weekend. Just always remember, it's just such a treat that we get to watch flag football the week before the Super Bowl. You guys have a good weekend. Through all these early trials of sorrow, through all these days of doubt and sin, through all these eternal nights and no tomorrow, got to stay on straight and narrow to find a little light of them. Got to walk that road, got to walk that road, on the way to heaven, got to walk that road, until the dawn, got to walk that road.